Okay. Hello and welcome to Sport Professor Podcast, the show for the sports student and fan who wants to learn more about the underpinnings of the sporting world. I'm your professor, Dr. Drew Sikansky, and today we will deep dive the world of sport marketing and research by talking about one way sport managers should go about learning about their consumers. Beginning with the basic discussion of how we research and study consumer shopping behaviors, we will move to discuss how principles that have been applied to the retail world for years can also fit into the sport context. So if you ever wondered what a sport manager watches during a game when everyone else is watching the field of play, or how sport marketers can turn their game day observations into better experience for the fans, this is the podcast for you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Sport Professor Podcast. In past podcasts, we've really hit hard on this topic of marketing and its application to sport. We've talked about the idea of sport consumer behavior. We've talked about what people are fans of and why they become fans of individual teams. We've talked about sports sponsorship, and we've talked about the future of sport consumption. But something we haven't hit on that I want to really get into today is how we as sport marketers go about gathering information and understanding better the fan once they are inside the stadium. And so I want to tackle this topic, but first I want to set the table. I want to give some background to make sure that we are all approaching this with the same basic understanding. Because what we are really talking about today is something that's been studied pretty widely in other fields, but not that much within the context of sports. And that is this idea of the science of shopping. Now, the science of shopping is a pretty broad-based term, and there's a number of books that have been written on it. One of my favorites is by an author named Paco Underhill, and it's called Why We Buy, which examines why we buy and why we act the way we do in a consumer environment. But from a very broad standpoint, the science of shopping really deals with this idea of anthropology. Anthropology is the study of human societies and cultures and their development. And we can do anthropologies in any context. The early form of anthropologies would involve scientists and scholars going to different environments, places where they had not been before, and sitting and watching and observing the native inhabitants of that society. They would interact with them some to try to learn not only what they did, but why they did the things that they did. So as this use of anthropology to understand individuals in their native habitats grew and more people started to apply it to different cultures, we started to see a growth in the acceptance of this form of data collection, this form of research. And we start to see scholars and academics be more brazen in their application of the ideas that are present within the use of anthropological methodology. So we see them going into new fields of study and applying these same means of research. And one place where that's become fairly commonplace is within shopping centers, that 
being malls or department stores or grocery stores where individuals will actually go in and study what you are doing and why you are doing it to try to increase the likelihood that you buy certain products or to try to increase the profitability of the store in general. So this has become a highly practical discipline that we're using in research and we're gathering all this data and we're doing analysis to make stores and products more amenable to who the shoppers are. But this hasn't been the only way we've gathered information on shoppers. There's actually been multiple ways throughout time that we've done this. One of the earliest forms of data collection on shoppers was really what we call the tape, was going through and looking at sales records to see not only how much of something that we are selling, but when during the course of the year we are selling it. And the easiest way to start to think about how the tape can be used is to think of this in terms of a retail store. Let's say that the retail store is tracking all the purchases that consumers are making over the course of time. And so they have a series of sweaters and short sleeve shirts that they're selling. Now, at the end of every fiscal year, they might go to that tape and say, okay, well, how many sweaters did we sell? And they can get a number. But that number only tells them so much. It just might tell them how much they need to restock in the upcoming year. But what they also look at, in addition to the number that they've sold, is that time of year in which those sweaters were sold. They want to know when people started buying the sweater. Did they start buying it in August? Or did they stop buying it in September, not till February? And they want to know at which of those months were the bulk of those sales. Because they want to know how many they not only need to order, but at what time of the year they need those sweaters to be in and on the shelves. Same thing when we're looking at things like t-shirts. They want to know when are t-shirts being sold. How many are being bought in the winter months versus the summer months. And so just by looking at the tape, just by looking at the sales record, how much of something was bought and when it was bought, the owner of the store, the owner of that retail marketplace now has a better idea of the behaviors of their consumers. But that can only be so helpful because what they don't know just by looking at the tape is not what people are buying, but why they are buying it. And oftentimes, the why people are buying something is more important than what they are buying. So understanding the why is something that we can't get from just the tape. So how do we do that? We actually will go and ask people questions. We will ask them why they bought something. We can do this in a number of different ways. Sometimes you might be asked when you're at checkout to give your email address. And they're doing that in part because they want to be able to follow up with you. And maybe they'll send you a survey. And they'll say, hey, fill out this survey explaining and talking about your experience in the store. And we'll give you a 5% discount the next time you are there. And embedded in that survey are going to be questions and items that might try to get at the why you bought the items that you did. In addition to this, The people working at the stores might ask you questions while you're checking out about your experience or why you chose to purchase an item that you did on that given day. But the problem with any type of question where we're asking an individual to explain their actions is oftentimes they might not even know why they did what they did. This is something that's pretty common within social sciences and in social research where we ask people to explain their decisions. Oftentimes, they don't understand the underlying reason for their action, but rather they will make up something after the fact to justify or explain why they chose something. For example, let's say we're at a store and there's two sweaters and the person ends up buying the red sweater versus the blue sweater. 
And as they're checking out, your cashier asks them about their experience. They ask them, well, why did you choose this sweater? Now, they could say, well, the color fits better with my skin complexion. I like this sweater more than the other one. It matches other things that I own. But maybe there was something else in that snap decision that registered with them subconsciously that led to their decision. And so after the fact, they're left with trying to justify something that was maybe more of just a gut reaction to something. So asking people questions gives us a little bit more information than just the tape because we can rely on a little bit of what they say as a justification or reason for what they're doing. But it still doesn't capture the entire shopping experience. Just like the tape only captures a snapshot of what's going on, so does asking people to explain why they're doing something. And so that leads to the third and final way that we can gather information on people when they're in a shopping environment. And that is to really use the full idea of what an anthropology is. And that is to track and observe the individuals while they are within the store or while they are doing the shopping. This is something that Paco Underhill in his book, Why We Buy, calls tracking. This is the idea where we put individuals into a store or into an area where we want to watch their behavior and we have those individuals stealthily watch them and follow the shoppers through the store or follow the people and take notes on everything they do from when they stop to look at a sign in a store to when they reach out and touch a piece of clothing or when they go into the dressing room to try something on these trackers just like an anthropologist are making notes of everything that that person is doing because the idea behind anthropology and the idea behind tracking is the same that if I follow someone and I watch them in their native habitat in this case in a store I can understand not only what they are doing but I can offer some explanation for why they are doing it Now, at this point, you are probably asking yourself, what the heck does this have to do with sports? We're talking about anthropology. We're talking about the science of shopping. We're talking about tracking people and looking at numbers. How is this related back into sports? And how is it tied into sport marketing at all? Well, one of the key things that we need to understand as sport managers or individuals who are interested in maybe entering into the sport management world is that what we are trying to do is we are trying to sell entertainment to a fan base. We are trying to sell enjoyment and happiness to our consumers. But the only way that we can truly be successful in selling that is if we know who our consumers are, why they're coming, or why they're choosing to buy our product, and then their perceptions of that. So that means we need to look at what's happening in our own cultural centers, in this case, within our own stadiums. And we need to look at what's happening from a consumer standpoint. We should not be viewing things at all time from the standpoint of the employer or from the standpoint of the team. We need to look and see how consumers are interacting. We need to look and see what is going on. We just can't look at the numbers. We just can't look at the tape and see how many tickets we're selling or how many hot dogs we're selling or how many jerseys we're selling. 
Just looking at the numbers isn't going to explain what's actually happening within the environment that we're trying to create. And as I just said, within the store, if we don't understand what's actually happening within the environment that we're creating, we are not going to understand how we can make changes to improve our ability to generate revenue going forward. So just like in grocery stores or just like in retail stores or just like in clothing stores, just like they should not rely on just the tape or they shouldn't rely on just asking the consumers what's going on or asking the consumers what their opinions are, their perceptions. Just like we shouldn't rely on those things in those environments, within the sporting environment, we should not only be dependent upon those things. We also have to track. And in tracking, we have to look to gain knowledge to understand not only who our fan base is, but how they're interacting with each other, how they're interacting with the stadium, and what we can do to improve those interactions to increase their enjoyment. So this then leads to the question of how do we track and what do we track? We understand the value and the importance of understanding what's happening, but how do we go about doing it? The simple answer is we need to measure and count every significant motion of every single shopper. In sport, that means we need to be measuring every single motion and every single significant thing that is happening with our sports fans once they arrive within the environment that we're trying to create. Now, I very carefully say within the environment that we're trying to create and notice I'm not saying within the stadium because in sports the environment that we are trying to create does not start in the stadium the environment of the experience of attending a sporting event actually starts in the parking lot and this is something that is very different from the rest of the retail world in retail you drive to a store you park in the parking lot you move very quickly through that parking lot and then enter into the store to go about shopping. In sports, oftentimes, the parking lot is part of the entire experience. You go to the parking lot hours beforehand. You are tailgating. You're listening to music. You're with friends. You're grilling. You've brought food and drinks. You're sitting. You're throwing a football. That experience is part of the overall enjoyment of the entire sporting event. And so starting with that significant action of entering into our stadium environment, of entering into the parking lot, we need as sport managers to start to track what is happening. So the hard part of this question is, how do we define what is significant? How do we make those determinations? And we could have a whole lecture series on just what is a significant motion of a shopper. But within sports, what I advise individuals to do is I advise them to monitor any type of interaction that they're having, not only with the people that they've come to the game with, their family, their friends, but also to monitor any type of interaction they have with the staff that I have working at the event and other people that are there that they might not know. So all those interactions that they have are significant. And I say they're significant because each interaction that you might have with one of those three groups could drastically affect how much you enjoy the experience of going to the event. Think about it. If I have a really bad experience interacting with the person that is doing security, if I have a really bad experience with the usher and they're not doing a good job showing me to my seat, those experiences might put me in a negative mindset. 
And once I get into that negative mindset, there is the potential that the entire event is now ruined. Same thing when we talk about interactions with complete strangers. Throughout walking into a sporting event, you might have 10,000, 20,000, 100,000 other people there, most of whom you don't know. And if you have interactions that are negative, if people are loud and obnoxious in the stands, if people are drunk and yelling obscenities and you're there with your children, that's going to be a significant moment for you. And it's going to drastically affect your attitude. And that attitude in the end is going to be what results in you making a decision whether to come back to an event in the future or not. Or it's going to affect how long you choose to stay at the event. How long you stay directly impacts how much money you're going to spend. So we need to track the interactions with those three groups, with our friends and family that we attend the game with, with the ushers, with the people that are working in the stadium, and then with those individuals who you don't even know, but who you run into. So what does the literature, what do these scholars who research consumer behavior, what do they say that we should be looking for when we're tracking individuals, whether in a store or in a sporting arena? Well, one of the major things that they advise and talk about tracking and observing is something called conversion rate. Now, conversion rate is the percentage of shoppers who become buyers. Think of this back in the retail environment again. Conversion rate would be the number of people who enter the store as a shopper who actually end up buying something. So are we having 50% of the people that enter the store actually buy something? Or are we having 20% of the people that enter the store actually buy something? Obviously, the higher the conversion rate, the better for the business. In sport, conversion rate's a little bit tougher because when people are coming to an event, they've already bought tickets. So we need to think about conversion rate in a different way. And there's really two ways that we can look at conversion rate in sport. We can look at how many people look up tickets online for our sporting events, how many or what percentage of those people become buyers. That'd be a conversion rate. We can look at the conversion rate of how many people are sales staff calls that actually end up becoming buyers of our product or end up becoming consumers of our sporting events. That's another way we could think about conversion rate. But the way that I like to view it in terms of the actual sporting event are the number of people that come to a game that already have tickets, I'm not worried about that, but the number of people that actually come to the game that end up buying something else once they're there, whether that's merchandise, like a foam finger, a baseball hat, a t-shirt, or whether that is concession stand items, a beer, a hot dog, a soda, maybe they're buying programs, whatever it is, we want to try as a sport organization to have a high conversion rate to those individuals that are coming to our event that then buy something else. So we want to try to track conversion rate. We want to see how much each of those people that are coming into the stadium are buying and what percentage of them are actually buying anything at all. Now, conversion rate is something that we can measure more so through just looking at the tape. We can look at what the fan attendance is on a given day, and then we can go and look at how many hot dogs, hamburgers, beers, brats, t-shirts, foam fingers, programs were sold on that same day. And we can do a calculation to see how much an individual fan spends once they come into the stadium. That's great, and the tape can tell us a lot about that. But what we are more interested in is not exactly what they're buying, but the process they're going through when they're actually making the decision to buy something. 
And so when we're looking at conversion rate and how many of those people who are entering our stadium become buyers, we should be paying attention to things like wait times. Wait time is an extremely important variable in any type of retail environment, but particularly within a sporting event. Because the longer that I'm waiting in line for something, the more time that is taking me away from the event itself. So if I'm waiting in line to use the restroom, or if I'm waiting in the line to get to my seat, or if I'm waiting in the line to get food, or if I'm waiting in the line to buy something at the team store, all that time that I'm waiting is taking away from me experiencing the event. And the whole point of going to a sporting event is to experience the event. So anytime I lose from that potentially decreases the satisfaction that the consumer has with their decision to buy the product, in this case, to come to the event and enjoy the game. And if I'm messing with their level of satisfaction, what happens is they might not come back in the future. Because with conversion rate, I not only want to see how much they buy when they're there, I also want to try to convert them into future consumers of my product as well. So how much time people spend waiting at a sporting event is crucial. And again, research has been done on this in the retail world. But in the sporting world, the same ideas apply. And what the research says is that there's two types of time. There's what we call real time and perceived time. Real time is the actual amount of time that you spent in line. So if the second you enter the line, I hit my stopwatch, it's the amount of time it takes you to go from the back all the way to the front and exit the line. What research says is that under around five minutes, we have a fairly good perception of real time. So if I were to stand in line for, say, two minutes, and then I exit the line, and someone were to come up to me and ask how long I waited, I would be able to guess pretty accurately how long I was in line. But anything above that threshold, when we get into 10, 15 minutes of waiting, we have a very different perception of how long we were in line. That is this idea of perceived time. So I might have only been in line for 10 minutes, but Research shows that after five minutes, I'm not very good at calculating how long I waited. And in fact, after five minutes, I tend to overestimate how long I was in line. So if I was in line for six minutes and you ask, I might say I was in line for 10 or 15 minutes. And the reason this makes a difference is because real time actually doesn't matter that much. What matters is the perceived time a person spent in line. Because if a person feels like they were in line for 10 minutes, then they're going to be very dissatisfied regardless of if the real time they were actually in line was only two minutes. So we need to keep track of how long people spend in lines. In sports, we have a lot of lines that people have to spend time in. Again, from the minute they get onto the premises, there might be a line of cars to get into a parking spot. Then there might be a line of people going through security and then a line of people to get your tickets checked. And then you might have to stand in a line to have the usher take you to your seat. And halfway through the game, you have to use the restroom. You have to stand in a line to use the restroom. Or if you want a hot dog, you have to stand in a line at the concession stand. So there's a lot of time where people might be forced to stand in lines. And we, as the individuals who are putting on this sporting event, need to be cognizant of that time. And we should have individuals that are tracking that time in line to try to minimize how much a consumer has to wait for anything. 
the shorter time that they have to wait, the better their overall experience is going to be because they can spend more time with the actual entertainment that's happening versus waiting for something else. So not only are we interested in this idea of conversion rate, but we're also interested in how long people spend in lines. Another thing that we want to track and observe is what we call inception rate. An inception rate is the percentage of customers who have some contact with an employee. An inception rate is a really key thing with retail shopping because the more interaction that you have with an employee to a degree, the more likely you are to buy something. Now, there are caveats. If you enter a store and right when you walk in, a person comes up to you that's an employee and is nagging you and continuously asking you questions, that actually would turn you off to the buying experience. But if as you're looking at things, if you have an employee come up and ask if they can help you, that inception that's happening there has been found to increase the likelihood of that consumer actually buying something, especially if that employee interacts with them in a positive, friendly, and open way. So why is this the case in retail? Why is it that when we have this inception, we have this interaction between a shopper and employee, the shopper is more likely to spend money at the store? Well, when we're shopping and we have an employee reach out and ask us if we can help, maybe we are looking for something specific and we don't know where it is. So that little interaction might help me to find the object I came into the store for. Or that interaction might spurn me as the shopper to have a conversation or strike something up with the person who's working. And the friendlier that person is and the more positive that interaction is, the more attached I now feel to not only that employee, but also to the store. So I'm much more likely now to buy something to show my support for what that employee has done and to show support for the store as a whole. Well, the same thing happens at sporting events. In sporting events, we have forced interactions. Think about it. The second I go to walk into a stadium, I'm going through some type of security, whether it's a metal detector, I might be wand. So I'm having an employee interaction there. And then I have a person that will take my ticket or scan my ticket. There's an employee interaction there. And then in most stadiums, when I'm going to my seat, especially within professional sports, there will be an usher who I show my tickets to who will guide me or instruct me to where my seats are. So there's three forced interactions that I have. Imagine each of those interactions. Imagine if each of the interactions that you're having is a negative one where the person working isn't smiling. They don't care about their job. They're rude and angry towards you. How would that affect your experience? It would probably detract from it quite a bit to the point where the first thing that I experience when I walk in is negative. So now that puts a cloud over everything that's going to be happening. It might be a great event. Everything else might go well. But those initial interactions I have with the employees, if negative, might put that cloud over and make me not want to come back again. Now, if we flip that around and we say each of those interactions with those three individuals that I'm forced to have is positive, the person's helpful, they're kind, they're smiling, they like their job and they reflect that in their interactions with me, that now sets me up or primes me to have a much better experience. It makes me feel happier. It makes me feel like the people who work here care about what's happening and care about me. And so I'm going to want to reflect that maybe by going and buying something from the team store or maybe hopefully coming back to a future game. 
So looking at not only how many people a customer has interaction with, but the quality of that interaction is something that's really vital to track as well. Because as we've shown, just like with the wait time, what happens with my interactions with employees can have a great effect on whether I'm going to come back for future events or not. The final thing that we really need to pay attention to when trying to gather data through this tracking method about our fans is the interaction of the fan with the physical environment of the stadium. Because the layout and structure of the stadium can drastically affect their experience as well. And the layout of the stadium should be based on what scientists call the biological constants. And this is just the physical and anatomic abilities, tendencies, limitations, and needs common to all people. And the retail environment must be tailored to these characteristics. For example, let's think about a grocery store. And let's think about this cereal aisle. And I want you to visualize a cereal aisle in a grocery store. Where are you going to see the cereals that are the healthiest? Probably on the top shelves. Why is that the case? Because people that are going to be eating those cereals are going to be adults. Kids don't want those healthy cereals, so we put them at the higher shelves because that's right in the eye line of the adults. Conversely, where do we see the cereals that have the highest sugar content? We see those on the lower shelves. Why? Because if I'm with my children who are walking, who are much shorter than I am, we want those cereals to be right on their eye line because those are the cereals that they're going to want. We see the layout of the cereal aisle based on these anatomical characteristics of human beings. So this idea of biological constant deals with how we take into account the physical layout of our facility based on biological and physical abilities of those individuals who are entering into the facility. That takes into account the limitations of certain individuals or the needs of certain individuals within our specific environment. So if we think about this in terms of sports stadiums and in terms of buying things within sports stadiums, let's first talk about signage. If you were to walk into a stadium and you were trying to find directional signage to tell you where to go to find your seat, where are you going to naturally look? Are you naturally going to look down at the ground? No. Why? Because there's all these other people that are walking around there that might be blocking it. So we're going to look up. We're going to look up because our natural eye line or our natural inclination is to look up for directional signage. So we want to make sure the directional signage that we have out is high enough for people to see in a crowded space. We also want to make sure that it is bright enough for people to see. We don't want the directional signage to blend into the surroundings because then no one's going to be able to find where they're going, which means there's a longer wait time for us to be able to get to our seats. So we need to take things like that into account. Another very basic one, not just directional signage, but imagine you're going up into a concession stand and you're waiting in line at the concession stand. We want to make sure that the signage for the items that we're selling at the concession stand are easily read from a distance. 
Why? Because again, if wait time matters, I want the person while they're standing in line to be able to read the options so that way right when they get up to the counter, they have a decision made and they can order right away. That will decrease that wait time that we talked about earlier. So making sure that we have readable signs from a distance for things like concession stands. What about other signage we see throughout the stadium? What about advertisement? Remember, as a sport manager, I'm not only trying to sell the experience to people who want to consume the event or consume the sport. I'm also trying to sell advertisement. That's a great way for me to generate revenue. So I need to make sure the ads are placed around the stadium in a way that people are going to naturally see them. Think about a soccer game, for example. Or in a soccer game, we have lining the pitch, lining the field, about five to ten yards off of it, electronic signs that will put up who the sponsor is. In football games, we have these giant scoreboards that don't just show the replays, don't just score, show the score of the game, they also have advertisements on them. Why do we see advertisements placed in those two spots? Well, think about the biological constant. Think about what's happening during the course of the game. In a soccer match, I am going to be looking across the field. So if there's a sign lining the field, I'm naturally going to see it. Now, I might not consciously pick up on the Coca-Cola sign wrapping the field, but my brain is seeing it, and it's getting that subconscious messaging. And so if all of a sudden I get thirsty during the game, maybe I'm more likely to want a Coke. Or after I go home, subconsciously, that might trigger something in me. That sign around the field is in my natural eyesight, so I'm going to pick up on it. Same thing as the scoreboard in that football game. I'm going to be looking up at the scoreboard at some time during the course of the game. A big play happens, I look up because I want to see a replay. As I'm trying to watch that replay, I'm also going to be seeing the signage that's around that scoreboard, whether it's Bud Light or Gillette sign or something advertising a local bank. I'm going to be taking in that signage. So, The sport manager needs to focus not just on the interaction between the consumer and the stadium to make sure we're maximizing their overall experience. They also need to be taking into account what's happening between the consumer and how they're interacting with the advertisements. We're looking at how many impressions that advertisement's having on the 100,000 people that are at the game. Because the more impressions I'm making, the more likely a person is to naturally see the signage that's placed around the stadium, the more I can then charge as a sport manager to that company that's trying to come in and do a sponsorship with my team. The basic premise here when we're talking about the consumer's interaction with the stadium is that the places where consumers operate must be geared towards those biological aspects of them. So a big part of the science of shopping or studying consumer behavior within sport is discovering ways that the environment might actually be failing to do this. Maybe we have poor sign placement. Maybe the signage is too small. Maybe we've placed an advertisement in an area that no one's going to see it. And so by, again, observing these things throughout the sporting event and while it's happening, observing where people are looking to see if they're taking in the signage in the way it's supposed to, observing if people are struggling to find their sections because we have poor directional signs, observing how many times people are looking up at a scoreboard to see how many times they might be taking an advertisement, 
by observing all of those things, we can not only better the experience of the consumer in that environment, but we can also better the experience for the sponsors who are trying to sell their product through using our team. Well, the last question then is where do I position people and who do I position in these locations to make these observations, to do this tracking, to gather the data to help me as a sport manager? And I would actually say that in most cases, we don't want to go out and hire someone to come in and do this. It's going to cost too much money and there's really no one that's a better expert on your sport team than yourself. So what I always advise people is that as part of training your staff in whatever their job responsibilities are, you should also train them how to watch what's happening in their specific environment. So we already have people stationed in the parking lot. We have parking attendants. We already have people stationed at the entrances and exits of our arena. We have ushers stationed throughout the concourse and throughout the seating area. We have workers who are stationed in the team store and in the concession stand. And so we already have those individuals set up and they're doing other jobs, I understand. But we should train them and tell them what they should look for with our consumer base. Tell them to pay attention to how long a line gets and to pay attention to what people are doing while they're in line. If they look like they're bored or that they're upset or frustrated, have them take a note of that. If the ushers see that people are having trouble finding their ways to the right sections because of poor directional signage, have them take a note of that. If the ushers, as they're watching, or security, as they're watching the individuals in the stands, don't see them checking out the scoreboard or paying attention to advertisements, have them take a note of that. And then at the end of each game, or at the end of a weekend series, or the end of a week, gather all those employees together and debrief and talk about what they saw. Have them explain to you the observations that they made. And take those in as a sport manager. Pay attention to them. Pay attention to the observations and the recommendations they have for changing and improving upon areas where they notice deficits. Because those are the individuals that are out interacting with the consumers. They're the ones that are, are intercepting them and having the conversations. And so they already know what's going on. Use them as a resource. And then as a sport manager, finally, you should be out there as well doing the same thing. I always advise individuals who are interested in going into sport management to go to a game and try to consume it and watch it from the perspective of a sport manager. Don't go to watch what's happening on the court. Go to watch what's happening everywhere else but the court. Go and watch the consumers. Practice watching what they're doing. Practice watching their interactions with each other. Practice watching their interactions with the team as they're playing or with the scoreboard or with the advertisements. Practice taking time to look at what's happening. Because as we start to look and practice more, as Paco Underhill talks about in Why We Buy, the more we practice it, the better we become. And so if this is something that you're interested in going into and working in sport and working with a professional team or working with a collegiate athletic department, going and developing those skills by going out and looking 
at what's happening in the stands, in the concourse, in the parking lot. Watching those things is the best way to train yourself for that sport management position down the road. This hopefully gives you a snapshot of what sport managers are looking for from before a game starts to after a game ends. Now, if you have any questions about these ideas of sport consumer behavior and how we go about gathering information and what we go about gathering information on, please feel free to reach out to us at the sport professor on Instagram. Follow us for updates about upcoming podcasts and in-depth insights into our topics for the week. But until next week, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Sport Professor Podcast.